morning. Let us open up in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you that we do have a day where we could set aside to worship you. Father, we come as believers to sing hymns and spiritual songs, to give our tithes and offering, to come together to praise your holy name. But Father, as we will look at this day, the Sabbath, we will see that there is much more to this day. That Jesus, you reveal yourself in these passages, and I pray that today that we would see that you are Lord of the Sabbath. And so, Father, I ask that you give us minds to understand, that you give us a heart to receive the word that you have for us today. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. If I were to ask any of you who alone can save, I would suspect the majority, if not all of us, would say Christ alone. We would say, give a hearty amen to that. But as I was looking through and studying this passage, while we can confess that Jesus alone saves, do our actions reflect our belief? And I'm not sure of you, but for me at times, I can look at my religious activities and rituals and traditions sometimes place more faith in that than I do in Christ. And this is what we're going to see in the Pharisees as Jesus will once again encounter the Pharisees. And for many people that who attend church, maybe they attend church, they grew up in a Christian household and they feel at peace, they feel okay. Maybe they have memorized scripture, they've gone to Sunday school, they have attended church for a while and they feel that everything's okay. Maybe they are thinking, I'm going to church now, everything's fine. Some of my best friends are at church. My life revolves around church and the people that they know at church. So they find it hard to believe that they could be so involved with the people of God and the things of God and not be a part of God's family. These things may give them peace, but it is a false sense of peace. A pastor, Donald Whitney, gives this illustration that is, in one sense, horrifying, but describes a state of some. He says this, a member of the parachute club volunteered to videotape a participant to jump by the club. He leaped first, then turned around with the lens to film the others. They floated together and finally joined hands to complete the free-falling circle. Then he taped them one by one as they pulled their ripcords 
and were jerked upright. Suddenly, the image blurred as the camera swung widely about. That was the moment the cameraman discovered he had forgotten his parachute. He had been so intent on preparing the camera and planning the filming that he overlooked his greatest priority. He had been, sorry, although he was active up there as anyone else in the club and enjoyed the fellowship, he did not realize until it was too late that he was not in the same conditions as the others. My prayer this morning is that we would see Christ, we would behold Christ, who is our only salvation. And I pray that we would not rely on our religious activities or rituals, but we would rely on Christ and Christ alone. And so in our text, we will see that Jesus is going to encounter Pharisees over the debate of Sabbath. But it's so much more than just an observation of the Sabbath. We will see that Jesus is greater than King David. We'll see that Jesus is greater than the priests. We'll see that Jesus is greater than the temple. And these things will make Him and Him alone our salvation. So if you haven't already, would you join with me in Matthew chapter 12? We'll be in verses 1 through 8. That's Matthew chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. And if you don't have your Bible with you this morning, there is one in the pew in front of you. We'll be on page 1037. Matthew chapter 12, 1 through 8. I'll be reading from the Christian Standard Bible. Matthew chapter 12, verse 1. At the time Jesus passed through the grain fields on the Sabbath, his disciples were hungry and began to pick and eat some heads of grain. Let's pause right here because this is important to unpack what is happening, and this is going to provide background to what is about to come. So we have Jesus and his disciples. They are walking. They're in a grain. His disciples are hungry, so they're picking up Grain. This is allowed in the, according to the law. So what they are doing is not unlawful. But there's a key thing. They are on the Sabbath. So we don't know where they're walking to. Maybe they're walking to synagogue to worship. But they're, it's the Sabbath day. It's the day of rest. The day that no work ought to be done. This is a day that we see established all the way back in Genesis. And later on in Exodus 20, if you were in my, for the junior high and senior high students who were in my Sunday school class last week, we looked at the Sabbath and how it's part of the Ten Commandments. And so, in that, we see it is supposed to be a day of rest. Now, for us, this is kind of, may sound easy. Yes, we enjoy a day of rest. We enjoy coming together and worshiping God. In fact, our nation is, has laws to provide rest. These are called blue laws. And the first one was uh, enacted in the Virginia colony, and it required that every citizen attended church on Sunday. Currently, here in Illinois, part of these blue laws Car dealerships cannot open on Sundays. 
In other states, uh, the hunting and gathering is prohibited. The sale of alcohol on Sundays in some states is prohibited. And these laws are there so that people would not find leisure but have the ability to attend church with less distractions. While our time has changed, and we now have sports and we have so much other activity on Sunday mornings, there was once a time in our nation where Sunday mornings was sacred, where stores and businesses would close their doors and churches would open. Now, I'm thankful that there are still businesses that do this, but they are far and few between. But for us, the Sabbath, a day of rest, is, can come somewhat easy. But for a Jew at this time, is a whole new perspective. In fact, it's actually not a day of rest. It would be more of a day of burdening. There'd be heavy burden on the Jews because there was man-made restrictions on this day. Let me just give you a, a hint of what this would be. Some of the restrictions was you can only walk 3,000 feet from your house. But if you placed food within that 3,000 feet, you could walk to that food, and that food is considered part of your household, and so you can extend your 3,000 feet to another additional 3,000 feet. Or for a Jew, they couldn't carry a load heavier than a fig tree. Other things, they couldn't throw objects in the air with one hand and catch them with the other. That would be considered work. Tailors would make sure that they would not carry a needle with them on the Sabbath, for they might be tempted to sew something or mend something. You couldn't take baths on the Sabbath for fear that water may splash out of the bathtub and would clean the floor. Women wouldn't look into the mirror because if they may see a gray hair, they may be tempted to pluck it out. You can only give enough treatment to someone who was sick to keep them alive. Anything beyond that would be considered work. Again, these are only a few of the thousand different restrictions that have come about in the tradition of the rabbis and Pharisees. Can you see the burden that would be carried to not break the Sabbath law? And I don't find it a coincidence that right before this, last week we looked at Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28, Jesus says, Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And we're going to look at this. The rest that Jesus offers is completely different than the rest that the Pharisees offer. And so with this background now, let us enter into verse 2. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, See, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. So the Pharisees, they may be, as Jesus and his disciples are walking, maybe the Pharisees are right alongside them. We don't know how this played out, but 
we know that the Pharisees saw what the disciples were doing, and instead of addressing the disciples, the Pharisees address Jesus, for Jesus would have been responsible for the actions of his disciples. And they call Jesus out. What your disciples are doing is unlawful on the Sabbath. So Jesus could have responded saying, you know what, you're right. Hey, Peter, Matthew, John, Andrew, hey, can you cut that out? But instead, instead of turning to his disciples, he turned to the Pharisees. And we will see his response is a response that shows that he is greater than David. He is greater than the priesthood. He is greater than the temple, for he is Lord of the Sabbath. So we enter his response. In verse 3, he said to them, Haven't you read what David did when he and those who were with him were hungry? How he entered the house of God, and they ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for him, for those with him to eat, but only for the priests. We'll see this phrasing twice. Haven't you read? This would be almost a slap to the face. He is calling out the Pharisees that you are well read. You are the religious leaders. You are the ones who have read this text and expounded and explained and taught this text. And so it should be clear what I'm about to say. But the Pharisees do not interpret the same way that Jesus, Son of Man, the Lord of the Sabbath, interprets the Old Testament. And so we get the first analogy from the Old Testament. Coming from David in 1 Samuel 21, 1 through 6, we don't have time to read all of it, but David is on the run from Saul, and him and his men are hungry, and so they come to the priest Amimelech and ask for food. But the only food that was available was the bread of presence, which is to be made and placed in the temple, and is only reserved for Aaron's sons and the priests. And so Amimelech took the bread and gave it to David and his men to eat. What does this have to do with the Sabbath? I think there's a couple connections that we can bring into this, why Jesus uses this Story. First, he's showing how the Pharisees and their interpretation cannot account for this story. For God has shown mercy upon David. While in his trouble, as he was hungry and starving on the run from Saul, God showed mercy. This is going to springboard into what he will say later in verse 7, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. And we see that while even in Leviticus 24, 8, this bread was only reserved for the priest, God showed mercy and did not condone 
the action of either the priest or David and his men. But there's more than just Jesus questioning their interpretational skills of the Old Testament. He's also bringing it back to himself and his disciples. If David and his companions were able to eat the bread that was only reserved for the priest because they were hungry and so they were able to partake, therefore a case can be made that setting aside regulations for Jesus and those with him. Jesus is claiming to be greater than David, and we will address this a little further in verse 8. But this analogy, again, only holds good if Jesus is at least as special as David, if not greater. So we will see in a little bit again that this claim that Jesus is greater than David. Jesus doesn't end there, but he continues making his case in defense of his disciples. In verse 5, once again, you hear, he says, Or haven't you read in the law that on the Sabbath day the priest in the temple violate the Sabbath and are innocent? Here he's speaking of the law in general, most probably referring to the book of Numbers. But he's saying that the priests work on the Sabbath. They have to prepare the Sabbath. They have to light the candles. They have to prepare the altar. They have to put on their priestly robes. They have to make the bread. They have to do work on the Sabbath. And so the same law that has established the Sabbath also gives exception to work on the Sabbath. Now, we don't have priests today, but I could say as one who has preached, while I come to worship, there's a lot of preparation that goes into preaching a sermon. And whether that's in sermon, whether that's in leading worship, there's work to be done. There's teaching during the KLB hours. So God allows this in worship of him. And so what Jesus is then, again, bringing it back to this conversation with the Pharisees, Jesus is making the argument that even he is greater than the priests. And he follows this up in verse 6. He says, I tell you, that something greater than the temple is here. This is significant because what Jesus is saying, that Jesus is not merely greater than the priesthood, He is greater than the place where they work. The temple is the symbol, the place of worship, where man can encounter God. This is the most important symbol of the nation to threaten the temple was to commit treason. To claim then that he is greater than the temple, to claim that he is greater than the priest, to claim that he is greater than David, would mean that he is claiming to be God himself. In verses 3 through 6, Jesus claims to also be the fulfillment and embodiment of the Sabbath day. 
the sanctuary, sanctuary temple, and even the scriptural law. The three realities dearest to the people of God. And thus, salvation comes not through keeping the Sabbath, perfect obedience to law or temple sacrifice, but only through faith in Christ. Jesus is God, and He is greater than David, for He will sit on the throne of David forever and ever. He is greater than priests, for if we turn real quick to Hebrews, the book of Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19, it says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus, He has inaugurated for us a new and living way through the curtain that is through the, His flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean of an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. Later on in the book of Matthew, we'll eventually get to, but Jesus says the temple will be destroyed. And he will raise it up in three days, referring to his death and resurrection. And we see in the death in Matthew 27, he records this. But Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and gave up his spirit. Listen closely. Suddenly, the curtain of the sanctuary was torn in two from top to bottom. Through the death of Jesus Christ, He has torn the curtain that separates us from the Holy of Holies. We now, because the curtain has torn, we have access through Jesus Christ to approach the throne room of God. We no longer have to go to a physical location, but we can worship God in spirit and in truth. Through Jesus has provided the way so that we can have relationship with God, our Creator, once again. And it's significant that the curtain ripped from top to bottom instead of bottom to top. From ripping from bottom to top, one could argue that a man could have ripped that curtain then. But from going from top to bottom, only God could rip the curtain and revealing that He now dwells with us through Jesus Christ. And so, Jesus is greater than David. He is greater than the priesthood. He is greater than the temple. And Jesus could have stopped here and let it be, but He keeps going. In verse 7, if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would have not condemned the innocent. Jesus is quoting Hosea 6, 6 here. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. To put it simply, we are called to love people no matter what day it is. We should not allow Sabbath observance to be an excuse of the children of God to not be merciful. Mercy is the core attribute of God. God is merciful to us, 
and he commands us to be merciful to others. To be merciful is to have love for people. For Christ has shown us his greatest love and greatest mercy as he lived this life. As he was brought, was crucified, died, and buried so that we can be saved through him. He has shown us mercy over and over. When we deserve death, he has given us life. He has shown us a great love. And when we understand the truth of the gospel, when we understand that Christ has loved us, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. When we can experience that true love, when we experience the forgiveness of sin, we then can truly love one another We then can truly live out this command that he desires mercy and not sacrifice. Because the Sabbath was the Lord's day and it was under the old covenant, a faithful Jew should have been especially concerned to follow the Lord's example of the love on this day. But because the Pharisees and most other Jews were far from God, they were also far from understanding his nature and his will. Jesus' instructions about God's purpose for the Sabbath further indicates that the Pharisees' unbelief and hardness of heart, they were true violators of the Sabbath because they invalidated the Word of God for the sake of their tradition. Those who condemned the innocent stood to condemn themselves. They did not refuse to do acts of mercy because of devotion to God's law, but because of the lack of love. How easily we can take on a mindset. We become so focused on our religious rituals and activities. We're more concerned about showing up to church than to love. We're maybe so focused on D groups and making disciples that we don't love. We're so focused on whatever area that we are serving in that we forget to love, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, 1-3, If I speak human or angelic tongues but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so that I can move mountains but do not love, I am nothing. And if I give away all my possessions, and if I give over my body in order to boast but do not love, I gain nothing. What Jesus is saying is I desire mercy over sacrifice. And he's getting right to the heart condition of the Pharisees. And Maybe for us today, he's aiming right at our heart. Do we, are we more concerned with upkeeping our spiritual rituals and traditions than loving God and loving others. Once again, we Jesus could have ended right there. Said so it could have been done and just kept walking, but he has one more point. He wants to make sure that what he's about to say is so clear that the Pharisees and whoever's listening has not understood what he's been talking about thus far, he's going to make one last statement in verse 8. 
For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. This title, Son of Man, is a reference to the divinic king found in Daniel chapter 7. He is the promised one who will sit on the king, on the throne of David forever and ever. He is, he is with God in the beginning because he is God. He is the one who established the Sabbath. He has authority over the Sabbath because he is Lord of the Sabbath. And so he and he alone determines whether or not his disciples' actions were lawful or unlawful. This is our king. This is who we worship. This is the one who comes to save. This is Jesus. And so this text is so much more than just how do we observe the Sabbath. This text is showing that Jesus is greater than David. That Jesus is greater than the priesthood. That Jesus is greater than the temple. And it is only in Jesus we have salvation. Brothers and sisters, we see that Christ has said in His Word He desires mercy and not sacrifice. But the reality is we cannot do this. The reality is we are sinful human beings. And if it was up to us, we would keep on trying to earn our salvation through good works, trying to earn our salvation through attending church service, to try to earn our salvation through reading of the Word or keeping up a spiritual life. But we have an example through Jesus Christ who fully did this, who completely did this, who showed us mercy. And not just showed us mercy, but He was also our complete sacrifice. And so we don't have to make sacrifices because He has already made the ultimate sacrifice. So while we desire and want to earn our salvation, while we want to work hard to be a better person, the reality is it's only done through the atoning work of Jesus Christ. And so, today, maybe there's some here this morning that have found that peace in their rituals, that have found comfort or maybe thinking they have assurance of salvation in doing enough good works, attending enough Bible studies, relying too much on their tradition. And as a theme from John and Jesus, called to repent and believe. Repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, for He and He alone is the only one who can save. May we repent and believe that we no longer have to have faith or assurance in our works, but we have faith and assurance in the one who has completed the work. It's Jesus Christ who came as a son who lived a perfect life to die a death, to be the perfect sacrifice on the cross, to take on the full wrath of God 
in our behalf. And the glorious news that He didn't stay dead, but He rose again on the third day where He now sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, who intercedes for us, who is our great high priest, and through Him we can have relationship with our Creator once again. So brothers and sisters, may our hope and faith not be determined by our actions, by what we do, but may it be solely placed on Jesus, who is greater than David, who is greater than any priest, who is greater than the temple. For He is the Son of Man, the Lord of the Sabbath. So I urge you that if this morning, place your faith in God. Repent and believe in His sacrifice through His Son, Jesus Christ. And allow Him to give us a new heart. A heart, one of mercy and love. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, what you have required, that you require mercy and not sacrifice, is something that we cannot muster up on our own. It is something that we cannot attempt to try to muster up. But Father, I pray that you give us a new heart heart that desires you. Father, I pray that we would not rely upon our good works, that we would not rely upon our religious activities as the Pharisees have done, but we would rely and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for your goodness upon us, your mercy upon us, even in the midst of this transition, as we are in the middle of searching for a new pastor, you have shown us great mercy through gifted preachers and through a gracious congregation. We see that your word and your is going out, that we are seeing fruit even in this season of transition. Father, I pray for our youth ministry. I pray for our middle school and high school students. Lord, that you would be with them as they are going and are in the public high schools. I pray that you would protect them, that you would continue to grow their knowledge of love for obedience to you pray that they would be a light into dark places. Father, I pray for the events happening down in Atlanta, Georgia, with the riots. I pray for the officers and their families. I pray for peace. I pray that your gospel would go forth and show that our only hope is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And through your gospel, we experience forgiveness and we can forgive one another. Through your gospel, we experience your deep love so that we can love one another. 
So, Father, may you continue to be merciful upon us, knowing that your mercy is more. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.